musicians exit the platform. God encourages us to cease striving and to know that I am God. Ready for that? Ready? That's what he wants. That we might know that he is God. You may say in your heart this morning, I I thought I passed that test. That's first grade. It's amazing. How we keep trying to forget that the most important thing is to know who he is. Father, that's my prayer this morning that all of us would know, not just in our songs, not just as we hear your word taught and preached, but that we would know in our own hearts this morning who you really are. Amen. Wikipedia defines the sovereignty of God as the Christian teaching that God is the supreme authority and all things are under His control. It says God is the sovereign Lord of all by an incontestable right as the Creator, owner and possessor of heaven and earth. I don't know why it took Wikipedia to remind me of who God is, but I tend to get a little fuzzy sometimes. And when I'm in a service like this, a fellowship like this, and we're all singing, and I'm reminded of who God is, and then I walk out the doors and live my life, and it just seems harder seems more difficult to be reminded of who God is. It appears at times, at least in my own life, and if this is you, feel free to join in and say amen, that I complicate things way too much. I make God more difficult to understand than really what this is all about. Last week, Pastor Ryan said in his sermon from Genesis 1, I wrote this down as fast as I could write when he said this last week. He said, God created because He is God. Is this enough for me? The fact that God is God because He's God, is that okay with me? say, of course it is. But I mean, really, is it okay with me? God is sovereign and He can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, with whomever He wants, and I don't really have anything to say about it. Is it enough that God the Father sent His Son Jesus to be my sacrifice? Or somehow do I think maybe I 
there should be a little bit more to it. Maybe if I try harder, do a little more, don't get in too much trouble. Just, you know, I, I would never say I need to add anything to it, but sometimes my life proves otherwise. God is God because He's God. And I know that sounds so elementary, but it's true. And it's throughout Scripture. I can think of nothing else to me that shows the sovereignty of God more than Him sending His Son freely to die on a cross, shed His blood, to be raised again. I can think of nothing more me that proves the sovereignty of God more than that. He never had to. He never had to love me. He never had to love you. He never had to do anything for us. You know why? Because he's God. I found myself in the back about three or four weeks ago. You, you ever participate in communion and you say, okay, now, now take the the bread and now I take the cup and what am I supposed to pray? Am I the only one that does that? I doubt it. And you say, well, what will my prayer be this week? Let me see if I can come up with a prayer that is honorable to God. And the Spirit of God said, when you when you take the bread and you break it, say thank you. Just say thank you. When you take the cup, going to do that until it changes if you're here this morning and you want to say thank you because you're God thank you you do it Father thank you
And Father, we say thank you again for the privilege of being able to support your work, not only in our community, but around the world in a sense, because when we give, that's exactly what's happening, is it's being spread out. And so, as we give our offering this morning, we again say, from hearts that are humbled because you're God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, church. It's good to see you here this morning. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for so much especially as we come into this season of Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we just think just how abundantly blessed we are. We, we almost need to be reminded of, of how much we need to thank you. Not just for the gift of, of, of your son on the cross, but for freedom, for, for peace or prosperity. We, we know that these are... These are blessings from you that, that we should use to bless others. For today, especially, we pray for those who are suffering in this world for the sake of Christ. Those who 
because of their belief in your son, have to live in fear, worrying that at any moment they could be found and tortured or even killed. We pray, Lord, that you would give them a special strength, a strength to endure and to withstand so that your name might be continued to glorify, continue to be glorified. We also pray that you would continue to move in this world Lord, we thank you for your word, and as we turn to it this morning, we pray that our hearts would be ready to hear and to be changed by it. It's in Jesus' precious name that we do pray. So, today we're going to continue in our new series, uh, Dogma, Doctrine, and Opinion. If you weren't here last week, we kind of started this new, uh, I call it a series, but it's a little bit less of a series and just kind of a conglomeration of sermons that are going to all be doctrinal in nature. The reason why I kind of hesitate to call it a sermon because from week to week or, or when we come to this series, uh, it won't necessarily be connected to anything that we've talked about before. Last week we talked about creation. And, and while creation plays a part in really all that we believe, it, it doesn't directly play into doctrine of persecution outside of the outside of what what Rob kind of hit on uh, in his communion message that, that God is God and, and uh, he can do what he wills um, so today we're going to talk about persecution uh, persecution particularly of the church and um, we're going to do so in, in in maybe a little bit different way than we than we normally do I, I, I tend to be a tied to the text kind of a preacher uh, meaning I like to go through and, and kind of work my way through the text and, and, and intimately tied to the text. Today we're going to jump around uh, more than I think this might be the most passages of Scripture I've ever, uh, I've ever had. Um, and, and by doing this for myself, there's this fear that I'm, I'm, I'm maybe going to proof text, which is just, you know, basically search for a word, find it, and then just whatever it seems like it's saying, that's what, what we're going to say. And because we're not going to, like we normally do, dig into the text. You're just going to have to trust me just a little bit. Hopefully over the course of seven years, I've kind of shown that I don't don't want to do that. And so I hope that you'll give me some license to do that as we go through this. I think it'll make sense as we go through. But the, the doctrine of persecution is, is really a pretty simple doctrine, honestly. Uh, when we talk about talk about things like justification or sanctification like we talked about throughout the book of Philippians. There's all these little intricacies and complexities and things that we could talk about and, and dig into and, and, and so on and so forth. Persecution really is just, just about as simple as the word persecution. The church is, at least by the New Testament standard, uh, is going to be persecuted. And when we talk about persecution... A lot of times in America, we can we can we can uh, maybe cut the corners off a little bit and, and make it. Uh, I'm, I'm persecuted because my you know college friends don't like me anymore because I became a Christian 
Yeah, technically that is persecution, but it's not persecution like we see in Scripture. Persecution in Scripture is very often violent or, uh, or at least serious in what we lose. So we might lose our homes, we might lose our businesses, so on and so forth. But that's, that's what we mean when we talk about persecution. Basically, we talk about persecution, what we mean is that the world hates us. The world hates us and then manifests that hatred in, in, in physical ways. And so what we're going to do is I'm, I've kind of broken it down into, into three main parts. The assumption of persecution in Scripture, in the New Testament in particular. The reason why we are persecuted. And then the, the, the positives of persecution, if we can call them positives. The, the what we can expect to help us through persecution and what then happens as a result of persecution. And so... Follow me here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Again, and I'm not going to say this for all of them, this, this passage is not about persecution, but Jesus is referring to it because it's just in the back of his mind. It's just a, a part of life. It's like we don't talk about the air that we breathe because it's just simply part of life. And this seems to be what a lot of the passages that we're going to look at are doing. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, this is Jesus speaking. He says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He doesn't say pray for those who might persecute you or, or the few of you who will experience persecution. You should pray for those who persecute you. It's just simply part of the worldview that Jesus uh, is, is speaking into. He recognizes this is going to be part of the church. It's going to be part of the regular life of the church. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, uh, same thing. He's not necessarily talking directly about persecution here, but he addresses, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, there's the word, but tribulation and distress kind of go along with that, or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Now, Paul, he's talking about our confidence in our relationship with God. We're, we're connected to him because he has he has called us and drawn us to himself. And he's saying there's nothing that can separate us. And again, this is just the assumption of the world that we will live in, that there will be persecution, and that persecution cannot separate us. Or Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Again, it's not a maybe. It's a straightforward statement. Bless those who persecute you. Now, in, in, in the two Romans passages that we have here, Romans 8 is kind of the theological section of Romans, Romans 1 through through 11, and then Romans 12, Paul gets to be into the practical, so we kind of see both the theological, that persecution can't separate you from Christ, and also the, the realities of what that means in our lives, instead of cursing the, those who persecute you, we bless them. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 to 30. This is Jesus again. It says, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands this is the kicker with persecution in the age to come eternal life and in the age to come eternal life. 
So, so Jesus, in this particular passage, he goes from just the assumption to now kind of, now kind of almost pushing it out as, the, as it's not just part of the world, but we recognize now that it's part of the world. So in this passage, Jesus, he's, he's, he's talking about the things that, that potentially will happen to you as, as a follower of Christ, what, the things that you might, you might lose. So say if you were a Muslim, right, and, and you come from a Muslim home. And you become a Christian as a child, you know, as a younger person, you're still in your, your parents' home, and they're going to certainly disown you, and they're going to they're going to probably separate you from the home. Is just depending on where you live, it could get worse, right? So you're losing your father and your mother and your sisters and your brothers and so on and so forth. And and what Jesus is saying is 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 yes, you're going to lose that for the sake of Christ, or you or you have lost that because of Christ or because of the gospel, but you're going to receive that back, not just receive it back, you're going to receive it back a hundredfold. Now, obviously, he's not saying you're going to necessarily receive back an adopted parents or new biological parents. But the realities or the relationship, the, the love that you need from those relationships is going to be returned to you a hundredfold within the church body. But it's not, it's not coming back to you just as is. It's coming back to you with persecution. With persecution. And, P, and Paul, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says it just blatantly. Is indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's, it's really one of the most plain teachings in Scripture. That part of the life of a Christian in the church is persecution. Now, none of these passages say that every Christian at all points will be persecuted to death. That's not what it says. It's not what we, that's not what we believe. What we, what we understand is that persecution is a, is a fundamental part of church life. It's a fundamental part of church life. And when we talk about the church, when I talk about the fundamental part of church life, what I mean by church life, it's not, it's not Christ's church, not necessarily. It's really not even the American church, but it's the global church. Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. It's a day we set aside to remind us that we live in a global society, and that global society, that global church, is not, uh, is not living mostly like Christians in America. We have freedom, we have comfort, we have space. If somebody would bust in these doors and, and try to arrest us, we would all be completely shocked. Because it's not the world that we live in. But for many, many, many Christians, that is the world they live in. And so we set aside this day, not so that we would pray for Christians or for the persecuted church just one day a year, but just to remind us to pray for persecution all over the world. Because it's happening. It's happening. We'll get to that in a little bit. The, the why is what comes next. We, we go, okay, okay, we recognize those passages seem to tell us that there's an assumption of persecution in the church. Paul just blatantly says that we're going to be persecuted. But why? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter uh, 15, verses 18 through 20, he says, if, if, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. So 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 the hatred that you feel, the, the persecution that you feel is has first come through Jesus. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because 
you, you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. The world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, if they persecuted me, if, if they persecuted Jesus, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus here, he's, he's explaining to us the, the kind of the process of, of entering into persecution. See, we in the Garden of Eden, when, when Eve eats the fruit, she doesn't eat the fruit because it looks tasty. She eats the fruit because Satan tells her, the serpent, who we learn in Peter, tells is Satan, <laughs> says, you won't die, you will become like God. This is the fundamental, the fundamental root of all sinfulness. It's a desire to be God. The fundamental reality of following Christ is that you are not God. And really everything that you have done has proven that. And so there's this acceptance. As we, as we turn ourselves over to Christ, there has to be this realization, this acceptance, that I have not done it right, that I am incapable of doing it right, and that I am in desperate need of God to rescue me. And, it, and that flies in the face of the the fundamental sinfulness of humankind. And so the world hates Jesus because that's what Jesus was, a representation that you're not right. And we cling to that. We, we seek to follow that. And so therefore, Jesus says, therefore, the world is going to hate you. And, it, and the world persecuted you, me, so he's going to persecute you. You know, again, we live in a society in America where we've we've turned we've turned the tables a little bit, and and it, it's, it for me it seems to be very non-biblical. Where we've kind of gotten to this point where we think that if persecution starts happening to the church in America, then we're doing something wrong. But biblically speaking, it's the complete opposite. Really, we should scratch our heads. We should wonder why. Why, for 300 years, Christians have not encountered persecution in America? Because Paul says, if you follow Christ, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Yet, 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 what, what is happening, right? Now, I'm not advocating for us to go out and, and pick a fight. It's not that silly, but, but kind of. Right? If, if, if we go out and we live Christ out in this world, the simple reality is, is the world can't stand us. And so, therefore, something's going to change. Second Peter, or 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you believe, as Peter does, that the, that the devil is a is 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 your is your enemy, it really doesn't take too much to, to realize that something is is off. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting that the church in America has has completely failed. That's not what I'm suggesting, because because persecution is not universal at all times. So sometimes there are. There are patches of church life where there isn't persecution. And it's not because they've stopped being good Christians, but because 
of other reasons. That's not it's not necessarily what I'm suggesting, but 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 it should at least give us pause. It should at least give us pause. Because it's so prevalent in the New Testament that, that persecution is just a part of Christian life. So much a part of Christian life. So so here's here's what we're learning, we've learned so far that persecution is a fundamental part of church life. And it happens because, because persecution first happened to Jesus. And, and really, we should feel the, 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 maybe a little bit of a scold when we, when we think, oh, I hope persecution doesn't happen to us in America today. Because Jesus says, hey, listen, you're not greater than your master. Jesus is the master. And if he experienced persecution, then we should probably as well. But it's not all bad. Again, the reason why, I think the reason why we think this, that if persecution would start to happen in the United States, and by the way, my opinion, based on my observation of, of our culture, is that it's coming. And, and, and there was a suggestion during one of the, one of the whatever political things that we're going to remove the tax exemption from, from churches that don't marry different peoples and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and there was this huge monster stuff. That in, in itself is not quite persecution just yet, but the motive behind it is. It's coming. And that, dare I say, is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. Maybe it, it actually almost means the opposite. Maybe we're doing something right. Maybe we're actually being Christ in the world, and the world just simply doesn't, can't stand it. But again, it's not all bad. It's not all a negative message because how do we endure it? And, you know, we've talked about persecution in different settings and Bible studies and stuff. And one of the questions that always gets brought up whenever we talk about persecution is, is do you think you could you think you can handle it? Do you think you can handle it? Let me answer that for every single person in this room. No, you can't. You and yourself, you can't handle persecution. But God can. And the other promise in Scripture, and I, I think it's actually probably more of a promise, the, the, the realities of persecution in the church is more of just the, in the back of the mind, this is just what it is. And it, this is more of a promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, it says, it says for, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, all of these things where, where I don't have the capability of accomplishing the thing that I think that I'm supposed to accomplish, I know that I don't have the strength. I am weak in those areas, but I have a God who is not weak. Again, the promise being that God is going to be with you. And we could talk about story after story after story of people who endure struggle, who endure persecution, and, and, and you just go, how? God is the answer. <laughs> Jesus says it, I think. He says it in maybe a little different way in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. He says, chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, Blessed are those who, per who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted, or blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
we, we misunderstand what Jesus says when he says, blessed are, and then he gives like a thing at the end, blessed are you who are persecuted, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. We think that's what it means to be, ble- to be blessed by God. But the presence of God is the blessing of God. If you are going to endure persecution for the sake of Christ, for righteousness' sake, God will be with you. That's the promise. That's the blessing. That's why when I am weak, God is strong. So persecution is a fundamental part of, of, church, of church life. It happens because it, the world first persecuted Christ, and God will be with you if persecution happens. Let me say that again. God will be with you when persecution happens. But the last thing, and, and really the thing that I wanted to talk about is, it, you can turn there in your Bibles to, to, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at the first eight verses. Really, we can look at it, it, almost anything in the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 8, verse, or, or, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples right before the ascension, he says, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is our mission. This is what we're called to do. We're going to, we're going to go and we're going to proclaim Jesus to the whole world. And for the first really seven chapters, they preach in Jerusalem and, they, and, they, and lots of people come to come to know Christ and are converted, and it's great. But they're really just in Jerusalem. And then chapter 8 happened. Chapter 8 happened. Here comes, here comes Saul, who is later renamed Paul, who, who writes most a lot of the New Testament. He says, and Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And by the way, it's not an accident that those three cities are mentioned. Those three regions are mentioned. Except the apostles. Verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Persecution. Verse 4. Now those who were scattered, and here's the kicker, those who were scattered went about Preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. It's fantastic. Verse 6. And the crowds were with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip, and when they heard and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and so there was much joy in that city. Now that last little bit about, about the healings and that stuff, through the book of Acts, the, the, the picture of healings is the, is the physical representation of, of spiritual healing in life. That's what, that's what that is. So to simplify Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, when persecution happens, the church grows. Again, we could look at the whole book of Acts. It happens again and again and again and again and again. When persecution happens, the church grows. So let's sum it up once once more. Persecution is a fundamental part of church life. It happens because it first happened to Christ. In the midst of persecution, God will be with us to strengthen us. And when it happens, the church grows. It's really that simple. It's not something that we just love, but it's really that simple. 
I wanted to take a little time. In the past, on, on the International Day of Prayer, we, 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 we've watched a video, um, usually from the Voice of the Martyrs. And, and if you're curious, you go to their website, you can watch their videos and that kind of stuff. It's a very good way to, to, to kind of teach you or to instill in you that, that persecution is, in fact, happening today. There are a number of places you can go to get this kind of information. Voice of the Martyrs is a great website, great organization. There's also another one uh, called Open Doors. Uh, if, if you need to be reminded to pray for the persecuted church, they have an app. I love that they have an app. That, that every day will send you a new story. A little, like one minute read to pray for. It's, it's a great way, just a great reminder if you just, if it's hard, if you have a hard time thinking, oh, it, it gets boring praying for the persecuted church or saying, Lord, be with the persecuted church. These are real people, real stories, real events. It's incredible doing it all week is great it's just i think it's called pray for the persecuted church you can search open doors with an s open doors not open door open door is a real estate app or something like that open doors i want to give you some statistics some numbers from open door open doors excuse me and these stats come from october 31st 2017 to november 1st 2018 and this is about persecution. Um, they're compiled and then released in January of 2019, so we call them the 2019 um, The other thing that they use is what's called the 50 World Watch List countries. And these 50 world, 50 countries are the countries where it's most dangerous to be a Christian. Predominantly, they're in the Middle East, but there's many in Africa, some in South America, almost all of them are in the southern hemisphere. Um, they compile it based on different things, based on violence, based on, on, on whether you can live freely, whether you can call yourself a Christian. It's places like North Korea, Afghanistan, um, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, and places like this, uh, a number of countries, if you're curious, again, go to Open Doors. Uh, I think it's opendoors.com. Um, and, and you can see that full list. So they use that, li that, that list as well. And so in that time period, I'm trying to find the address, the web address. Um, in, that, in that time period, so in basically in the year 2018, 245 million Christians experienced a high level of persecution in those 50 countries. Two, 245 million Christians experienced a high level of persecution. To give you some context, America's population is 300, less than 330 million. In those 50 countries. Worldwide, one out of nine Christians, one out of nine Christians will experience persecution. So when we say that the church does not experience persecution, we're wrong. We just have a fixed American viewpoint. From the statistics that were reported in 2019 compared to the, the year previous, the statistics reported in 2018, there was a 14% rise in persecution. 14%. That is a very significant statistical number. 14% rise. 4,136 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons in those 50 countries. 4,136. 2,625 Christians were, were detained without trial, arrested, and sentenced and imprisoned in those 50 countries. 1,266 churches or Christian buildings were attacked. And seven out of the top ten countries 
on that world watch list, the top 10, now rate in what we call, um, or, or excuse me, our, our, their primary cause of persecution is Islamic oppression. In five years ago, North Korea was the only country that ranked in the extreme persecution category. So many of us have heard stories about how Christianity is extremely dangerous in North Korea, yet there's Christians in North Korea. It's extremely dangerous. If you are found with the Bible, you will be put in jail or killed almost immediately. It's extremely dangerous. Five years ago, there was only one country that ranked that high. That was North Korea. Today, there's 11. There is an extremely high number, or extremely fast rise in persecution in the world today. North Korea, by the way, has been number one on that list for 18 consecutive years. Every month, 105 churches are attacked, burned, or vandalized. Every month, or every day, 11 Christians are killed for their faith in those countries. 11 Christians are killed every single day. Persecution is absolutely happening. If you break it down by the, by continents, one out of six Christians in Africa experiences a high level of persecution. One out of three in Asia. And as, as a comparison, to give you just a little bit more, uh, in, in South America, where where Christianity is, is, is getting to the point where it is in North America, there's still one out of 21 Christians are persecuted. Persecution is happening. But we don't lose hope for that. Because we believe the same things, that in the midst of persecution, Christians will experience the presence of God, will be blessed by God, He will give them strength to endure where they are weak, He is strong, and the church is growing. This is undeniable church is growing in these areas, despite and probably because of this persecution. I've talked about this a lot. I've, I've said in the past the church is exploding in, Af in Africa and, and in the Middle East. Let me give you some numbers because I don't think I've ever given you numbers. Uh, in Saudi Arabia and, and the United Arab Emirates, I think is how you pronounce it. These are, these are South, or Saudi Arabia is number 15 on the, on the list, uh, and the UAE is number 45. In 1910, there were 80 Christians in the UAE and 50 in Saudi Arabia. Today, there is 1.2 million in the UAE and, and 1.4 million in Saudi Arabia. It's 12% of the population in the UAE and that's 4.5% in Saudi Arabia. So Christianity is growing. It gets a little bit more difficult to get statistics from the Middle East because they don't want you to know that Christianity is growing because they're predominantly Muslim countries and they don't want Christians to be there. The numbers in Asia, so this includes the Middle East and, and other places, China and, and places like that. In 2015, there was an estimated 350 million Christians, 350 million Christians in, in, on the continent of Asia. In, in 2025, the prediction is that there will be 460 million Christians, so about 110 million in 10 years. And based on the numbers that came out in 2018-ish, that's we're on pace to see that growth rate. It's a pretty astonishing growth rate. And you consider that Christianity in America grows at about 1.3% per person. Christianity in America isn't actually declining based on numbers. It's declining because the population is growing faster than Christians are growing. That's a weird little side note there. Africa is where we get the most numbers, and Africa is where we see the most incredible growth rates. Africa is now the world's biggest population of Christians. It's the world's largest population. It has now become the center of Christianity in Africa. In, in 1900, there were an estimated 8 to 9 million Christians on the continent of Africa. 8 to 9 million. Over the course of the 20th century, 
there was 1.8 million martyrs, Christian martyrs, people killed because they believed in Jesus. 1.8 million martyrs. But in that time, Christianity grew from 9 million to 2,000 to 335 million Christians. These are staggering numbers. Just so you know. And at the rate that, that the continent is growing into the Christian world, they believed that that would actually double in half the time. So they predicted that in 2050, there would be about 650 million Christians on the continent of Africa. In 2018, 2018, they reached that number, 630 million. So what they thought was going to take 40 years or 50 years took 18. To give you the most staggering number that I think I can give you, that's 35,000 new converts or people born into Christian homes. 35,000 every single day. Despite great amounts of persecution. God is most definitely on the move. And so as we pray for the persecuted church, as we think about the things that are happening in America, we don't, we don't shy away. We don't, we don't pray for persecution, like to, for it to come. But we, I think we pray in maybe a different way. We pray for that strength that is promised by God. We pray for his presence to be on the people who are going to experience it. And that when and if it happens to us, we pray for that same strength. But we also pray and thank God that he is still reaching souls despite Satan's every effort to stop him. Heavenly Father, we... We are so thankful that you are still moving in this world. And that as you move and as evil tries to stop you, you, you succeed more. God, we, we ask that you would give strength to the thousands and millions of people who even this very moment are experiencing struggles and trials and persecution. From losing businesses to losing family to losing freedom to losing life. Lord, if we go by the statistics, by the time we've been here this morning, another Christian has been killed for your sake. Lord, we thank you that you were with them. We thank you that you have strengthened so many people to do story after story to encourage, to proclaim Christ to the world. That despite every effort, you strengthen those people who are in the scariest, most dangerous situations. You strengthen them to tell more people just how great you truly are. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he experienced persecution first so that we might be yours. We thank you that he went to the cross, that he suffered and he died so that we could be yours. 
or again, as we think about the thousands of people who are coming to know you even today, we pray that you fill them with your spirit. Give them strength. Build your kingdom as only you can build it. We praise you. Thank you and we adore you. We pray this in your precious and holy Son, Jesus' name.
couple announcements here real quick. Um, next Sunday, right, Sunday the 10th, uh, there will be another uh, high school hangout. 